I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch an immigrant story, sort of. Buying a credit is so nice. One look at us and they charge twice. I have my own washing machine. What will you have though to keep clean? Skyscrapers bloom in America. Cadillac bloom in America. Industry boom in America. Twelve in a room in America. Uh, just do your other one. <laughs> we love to watch Peter breaks his Sondheimen. There we go. Uh, better, better than whatever that first one was. Uh, hey, Pete. Hey, Carrie. Hi. Uh, hi. Um, welcome back, Carrie, exec producer, and now technically third uh, co-host of the show. <laughs> uh, Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be here for this movie. You are always welcome back, and the only person that consistently does. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a very good reason why Carrie's on this episode, even though she was not announced to be on this episode. We'll we'll walk you through that. Now, I am not – I'm going from memory, which I've been wrong at the last two times. I believe this is your seventh appearance on We Love to Watch, your eighth appearance once a certain Star Trek episode comes out. That sounds correct. Okay. Let's go with it. Lucky number Slevin. Yeah. <laughs> Do we need to get her like a wrestling belt at this point? It's more yes. vests. Always vests. Uh, we're, we're post vest, I think. I don't think you can ever be truly post vest. But welcome to We Love to Watch. <laughs> uh, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme and we do movies around that theme. And this month is our uh, third incarnation of Musical May. Musical May 3 uh, classic films for thee and we're on our third week we're on kind of um, a big one from a musical standard we've we've been going back and reviewing some classic musicals after peter started this podcast as a musical hater uh, eventually came around to enjoying them now we're going back and kind of watching some of the ones that he initially had been so put off by uh, we did gentlemen prefer blondes last week singing or uh, two weeks ago singing in the rain last week uh, and then we're doing some a stare uh, Rogers and uh, Pennies from Heaven next week, but this is kind of the the '60s bloated musical example that we're doing uh, with uh, West Side Story. And I gotta tell you, it's if if this is the side story, I imagine that the movie just like West is seven hours long <laughs> because. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's uh, Carrie, movie. can we can we just not not talk to him for like twenty minutes? <laughs> can we have our own side podcast? Sure. My version had a uh, had kind of a logo stylized like uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, where it said West, a side story. Um, but <laughs> okay, we can be done with this. <laughs> That's the most aggressive Carrie's ever been to me. I think. <laughs> it's her version of so sorry. Stop. But anyway. Uh, yeah, so uh, but we so if you had heard our previous episode, we mentioned Rachel Graff, who uh, someone I know in real life who has guested a couple times in Musical Bay May was going to be on this episode. Uh, she unfortunately had life come up uh, and had to cancel, and so we were like, "Hey, I we'll, we'll talk about this." I'm just kind of a fan of this movie, or I think it's okay, and I think there's good stuff and stuff I don't like. 
Peter, my guess was, is that even if he loved all the other movies this month, this is the one that epitomizes the problems that Peter used to have with musicals. And I don't know if he's going to be able to get over that hump. And I'm not even 100% a huge fan of it, even though I do think it's kind of like the best of the bloated 60s musicals. Uh, Rachel, who's going to guess, really loved this movie. Or loves the musical, and so I we wanted to have someone on for uh, that loved the movie. So as as we were talking about before the show, we went on Letterboxd and saw people that we followed and who had rated it high, uh, and we found two people that had given it five stars. Uh, one of them is Carrie, and one of them is David, who is guesting next week. So uh, we asked Carrie to come on to talk about West Side Story, and she graciously agreed to join us. So welcome back, Carrie. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah, Carrie, as always, is a treasure on the show, and we're so happy to have her back. And also, like, does anybody want to hear uh, us two be kind of mixed on a musical? <laughs> like, it's way more fun to have uh, Carrie here to spice things up. So thank you, Carrie. We don't want a repeat of the Cabaret episode. We were both like, hey, there's some good stuff here. There's some bad stuff here. This is really annoying. Why do I have this voice? Uh, But one of the other reasons I think we like having people on that like movies is because we are We Love to Watch. And there's many times, I think, on this show where whether it's – where I'll I'll come to talk about a movie in a kind of a mixed way. And then Peter's enthusiasm or a guest's enthusiasm or just the way they kind of bring up points that I wasn't thinking about when I watched it end up being kind of contagious. And I sometimes end up leaving the podcast with a more positive uh, view of the movie that I may have started with. So that is the other reason I really like having – and I I think Peter would say the same – having people on that um, that really love talking about a movie because it's infectious. Yeah, it's absolutely infectious, and uh, yeah. So we, I don't, I, I, uh, I don't want this month to be a negative fest of us shitting on a classic. But I do want to take an honest appraisal of what the hell this movie is because it's fascinating. <laughs> it is fascinating. Right? It's hard to, oh, yeah. to reduce it down into one petty little blurb or like one star rating because, like, from every twenty minutes, my star rating was w- uh, waving wildly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, there's a lot happening in it. There's a lot yeah. happening in this movie. Yeah, there, like, there is stuff that I legitimately love, and there's stuff I legitimately hate. So, for it, instance, it takes like 20 minutes for this movie to get started. I love you. We talked about that at one point, I think, when we were watching it. Uh, I actually love the beginning. I love how uh, dragged out it is. Uh, but I think, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, we're kind of getting to Peter's take already early on you said that you think the movie gets better as it goes along and i think the first act is way better than the second act i think the beginning of the movie is real sweaty and trying to establish or maybe it's just my maybe it's it's just uh similar to uh a top hat or a pennies from heaven or similar uh similar musicals like that that have a a, a sort of uh a very heightened, very formalistic approach to this material. Um, it's very hard for me sometimes to sync to the rhythms of these musicals. And I, I think in the past, of one of my big problems or big errors has been not being patient with myself and being patient with the movie. But, like, even looking back, the way they introduced the, the two street gangs on this, like, naturalistic environment, but they're so theatrical, just makes my, like, teeth set on edge. <laughs> So, so I think it's like, it's a combination of like, yes, more of my favorite like dance sequences and such are, are a little bit further into the movie, but also like, um, 
it just it, this movie takes me like 40 minutes to get into the to the rhythm this was also the first time I noticed, and I genuinely love I genuinely love the whole movie, but this is the first time that I noticed that a lot of the deepest emotional moments are in like the last 40 minutes. It gets way heavier. It gets yeah. super heavy. Uh, and also um the most disturbing stuff too. There's we'll I'm sure we'll talk about that scene where Maria goes yeah. to docks. Uh and it is Anita. Anita, yes. Uh sorry. Yeah. Uh, goes to docks and uh man that scene is rough that's like yeah if you haven't turned on the jets at that point which you probably should have earlier than that like that is the time where you're like oh yeah no fuck these guys <laughs> yeah yeah they're terrible <laughs> um but uh before we get too far into that i do want to give carrie the opportunity to introduce herself uh because even though she has been on seven times or this is her seventh time just in case it's you know sometimes these musical episodes bring out new people and we want carrie to to, to let everyone know, hey, what's up? I'm Carrie. I'm awesome. You can say it exactly like that or in your own words. Hi, everybody. I'm Carrie. Um, I live in New York, which I think makes me uniquely oh! qualified to talk about this extremely New York movie. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I work in documentary. I'm an archival researcher. And uh, I love musicals. I love bloated 60s musicals <laughs> in particular. Um, my favorite is The Sound of Music and West Side Story is probably a close second. <laughs> I know. I know. So, yeah. So I'm in a really excited mood right now. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sure you knew this living in New York uh, yourself. But when I when I saw this movie again, I was like, oh, my gosh, are they saying that some of the cops in new york are racist um i think that might be the implication yeah is, is that true in real new york too you think it is oh my gosh i know this will come as a shock <laughs> but, they're, but the they're cops in new york though. are not so good <laughs> not so good uh well actually there's another thing that kind of connects carrie and i believe to this musical we were both in the play weren't we i was not you were i i have i have dreams of of uh being uh, of playing anybody's but i've never actually been in oh it. sorry yeah no uh, so we just talked to david last night i think david was in this play that is believable yes and i was in yeah. the play in high school as well it was not a high school so he was in a apologies he was in a high school um theater production and i was in a summer theater production of it so we performed this for 12 days uh, carrie i believe knows what part i played peter do you i don't know if you saw the chat can you guess which part I play? I actually played two parts. Peter, can you guess which part I played in this in this play? Uh, fire hydrant and lamppost. Oh, um, <laughs> I was actually a uh, basketball. Uh, <laughs> people aggressively, and then basketball hoop. It was a tough dual performance. Uh, wow! I had to dunk on myself. Were you wearing like a leotard that, when you floated a certain way, like extended out a neck? A lot of arm work. It was a, a lot, lot of arm of work. Arm work. Uh, I feel like, okay, I can form a basket with my hands pretty easily. Anybody could do that. But to throw yourself through the basket, that takes real skill. <laughs> well, um, think about this, I mean, though. What if one hand was a basket and then one had to be the hoop? Like, that's a lot of <laughs> flexibility. <laughs> um, I think you're too charming to play Tony, so it can't be that. <laughs> no. So keep this in mind. I So in some of the plays in high school and summer theater, I was like the lead because I was a uh, – at least for uh, North Dakota theater production, a very good actor. Uh, I have, am not and have never been a good singer. So in musicals, I didn't tend to get 
the better parts. Um, <laughs> because I cannot sing. <laughs> so you're not you're not Doc. No, it wasn't Doc, but you're on the right track. <laughs> Uh, you weren't the uh, Gomez Adams break uh, trying to get the uh, the sharks and the jets to dance together, right? No, that's who I was. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I was the person who's like, well, hold hold on now. <laughs> uh, I think I probably did a bad Jimmy Stewart accent, but. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a bunch of really white people as the Sharks and the Jets in the North Dakota uh, summer <laughs> theater production of West Side Story. About, do they still sing all the songs about Puerto Rican heritage? And... <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, you can't cut those out of, of West Side <laughs> Story, Peter. It, do, well, it, it doesn't really make sense, sense without them. Yeah, it's not like it was like, <laughs> oh, the Irish, oh, the Germans. Like, you can't really... <laughs> Did you know, though, that bef- that and this is true, that it was originally going to be East Side Story and it was going to be about our peoples, Catholics and Jews? Yes, I, I did hear about this. Um, I uh, I would love to get a hold of what the hell they do during the, the whole um, it's just the, the scene where it's like, uh, what is America about? Like whatever that song was going to be. I would love to hear like that alternate reality version of that. Yeah, I ha- I am very curious to know what that would have looked like. So I don't know how far I don't know how far they got with that version. Here's my big question. Like you could have it about Catholics and Jewish people and still call it West Side Story. I don't feel I don't think you need to change it to East Side Story. <laughs> I think it was more about the demographics of where certain populations were living at that time uh so accuracy so what would have been north side story based on your encyclopedic knowledge of new york city which is legally required to live (laughs) uh uh, based on 50s new york i have no idea (laughs) okay so it's possible too they called it west side story because the original version of this a little play called romeo and juliet took place uh much further west in a place called europe or further east well, dep- I mean, the easiest Depending way to get which direction New York. You go. Yeah, like, why would you travel from New York to fucking Florence East? Yeah, because it's shorter. It's absolutely not shorter. Oh, wait, wait. I don't understand <laughs> how directions work. <laughs> Pacific Ocean is very big. and it's So, that, so yeah, so you're right. So, let's. I'm going to edit all that out so I don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> you're going to have to do a lot of editing on oh, my previous comments, gosh, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, directions, guys. Maybe I shouldn't talk anymore about well, I'm just going to call it side story. Like I planned. Um, but yeah, I mean, assuming you think the Earth is, is round, yeah, you could go east or west. So I've fine. been watching Behind the Curve so much that my, my vision of the way that the Earth really looks, Peter, is a little bit different than the globes you've been taught in your uh, NASA-run schools. Wait, so you stayed at my house for a night. Are you the one that cut my globe in half and flattened it out? Oh boy. No comment. I liked that globe. It was like a it was like an old like school school globe and I like got it like 40 years ago. Where the Why did you cut my globe in half, Aaron? Uh well, I have half and you have half cuz we didn't have friendship necklaces. <laughs> and then when we're together Friendship next- globe. Yeah, friendship it's, a, it's a friendship globe. So when we're together next time, we'll put them together. And like, uh, that's why I wrote best on yours. Uh, <laughs> can you guess what mine says? <laughs> yeah. So to jump back a little bit, Carrie, East Side Story sounds like it could be either really amazing or it would lean real hard into Jewish stereotypes, which would be still troubling. 
But written by Leonard Bernstein, written in, at true. least in part by Leonard Bernstein. So like, that's true. You know, and I think that's if there are other, there must have been other Jews involved. Like in that sense, it would have been less problematic because I bet there are more Jews than there are Puerto Ricans involved in the creation of West Side Story. Yeah, but the tensions in the version that exists, I think, are probably stronger. So it probably makes for a better dramatic story, the it, way that they actually did it. Even though the depiction is problematic, the the actual like it's it still feels pretty resonant. Um there's there's all the and I and I there's all these points in the movie where you you basically have two gangs, right? You have the Jets, uh, and you have the the Sharks. And the cops are sick of both of them, but the way they treat the Jets compared the, to the way they treat the Sharks is really like underlining, um, you know, the point that made by uh, by the Sharks later on in the movie where, like, America treats us differently. Like, the, the Jets really are just to the cops and the detective, like, these rap scallions who are super annoying and stuff like that. And, like, the Sharks are people that they're like, get the fuck out of here. Get out. Even even the even though their level of like gang alignment and and violence and uh, high kicks and stuff like that is pretty equal, the uh you know the way they're treated is different, and, and you know especially where we're at right now and you know contemporary America, there is a lot of like oh even when things are equal, they're not equal. Yeah. Yeah, and even if you're at the bottom, you're not necessarily yeah. at the same bottom as someone else. Exactly. And and so like all those moments like and I I don't know how much that was uh like intended as a commentary of like race relations at the time and stuff like that, but it definitely like seems very unfortunately as we say way too often on the show when we're going back to to movies from, you know, fucking 50 years or whatever ago, like it is unfortunately still feels very contemporary in in its depiction of like race in America. And I do think that the <laughs> The the uh, the creators clearly cared about getting some of this stuff right to the best of their abilities because the a couple songs and a couple moments where it changed because of uh, outcry or criticism from the Puerto Rican American community be- and se- several of the songs including the um what is it called in America America. Uh, yeah, America. Um, so that song was changed heavily from the original version uh, to be a little bit less racially condescending dash outright racist. So the creators already had a hit play. They had a hit or hit musical, I should say. They already had uh, what was ostensibly a home run as a property to adapt to film, but they still took the time like, okay. We're adapting this to a new medium. It's time for us to correct our mistakes, which I think I think implies, yeah, that like they were very, very much conscious of this stuff in a way that they didn't have to be like they, they could have made this a lot more racially condescending than it ends up being. But yeah, there's still problems there. Yeah, I agree. Could be worse. <laughs> I guess could be worse as a bad metric, but I just, I'm just saying that they were aware of the fact that they were they were engaging with real people in a real community when yeah. they wrote this. Yeah, and as and as much as I don't want to excuse things as being of its time, this is still the early '60s. Yeah, so I understand. I hate the um, like the whitewash casting and all that, but it's uh. 
I get, I also get why it was the way it was. And I'm glad that the remake that, that Spielberg's working on now is going to rectify a lot of those issues. Yeah. All, yeah. All dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's actually going to go back to uh, the Super Mario Brothers interpretation of New York, um, which is everyone's a dinosaur. Uh, most uh, And just what kind of. You know, what kind of species relationships are going to unfold in the, you know, the big melting pot that is the, the Big Apple, you know? Uh, yeah. No, but that's a really good point because that's, I think that comes out like in December of this year, right? Oh, is it that soon? Probably, I th- actually. I th- yeah, th- I thought so. So, like, we're, we're getting a chance to kind of, I've, I haven't seen this for a long time. Um, not since I think I was in the play. When you're in one of those, like, when you're in a play, especially because the story was pretty close. I can't remember any major differences or like you practice it for two it's like summer theater you practice it fucking every day for two months and then perform it for 12 nights so uh yeah like the songs and everything else uh i still knew most of them by heart um oh just, yeah just because they, they're so ingrained and, and also when you when you are in something like that you tend to take a uh depending on what it is unless it's something you truly truly love uh you tend to take a long break from it so i was i was excited to revisit this and also be able to see it you know the last time i saw it was in like a fucking crappy vhs on probably like a 20 inch screen and the one thing i really remembered liking about this movie at the time was how colorful and beautiful and stuff like that it was so being able to to watch it on a bigger screen in you know the appropriate aspect ratio in HD and stuff like that was was really exciting for me even if i remember thinking like well i didn't love it at the time i wonder what i'm going to think of it now yeah the blu-ray is stunning yeah it gorgeous um i yeah the, the, those technicolor those te- the, the technicolor really pops in a way that uh it has not popped for a very long time so before yeah. we get into the movie proper, there is there's one like little side thing I want to talk about, and then we'll transition into Peter. You mentioned that some of the dialogue is really affected and stuff like that, and it is like it is super like kind of corny, cheesy musical dialogue, which is why I wasn't sure if you were going to like it because this actually feels to hit all of the things you've always told me you dislike about musicals. Like they don't feel like real characters, they don't feel like they're speaking real. The, the dancing and stuff like that that they're supposed to be doing feels a little silly sometimes. Um, we've avoided that so far this this month uh, in the movies that we've talked about and, and you feeling that that was the case. But I am curious, like, did you appreciate it or were you like, this is kind of corny? Uh, it entirely depends on scene to scene because I think the movie as it goes on between these set pieces uh, has a variable has a variable quality in terms of how it meshes the theatricality of the performances, like a lot of the actors are clearly playing to a theater yeah. um, and the scenes can feel really flat, but at least they feel um, properly scoped. But there's certain scenes on the very natural, like uh, more realistic sets. Like that's why I really hate the first like 15 minutes because it's supposed to look like a real set and they did a really good job of making it look like a real city. Uh, maybe they did shoot it in a real city block for some of this, but it looking so real actually made it seem incredibly silly and laughable. I didn't start taking the movie seriously basically until that first dance dance sequence dash 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 bleh, dance battle at the uh, prom or whatever the at the dance yeah. turnabout bop about 
that yeah that at the dance that's when it finally made sense to me because that was sort of it was staged and set up where the, the theatricality of the performances seemed properly scoped for what they were doing yeah that 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 oh uh that prom sequencer is really really good um i don't think it's actually a prom but whatever i think it's like a it's like a youth community dance because i don't yeah. think most of them are in high school <laughs> no, I think they're yeah, all I mean, in their forties. Like right? they're all. <laughs> Did Peter and I just say the same joke at the same time? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Anita, Anita, and Bernardo are like definitely at least a little bit older. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, Maria, there's Maria, a... and Tony. I believe to be like fairly young, but uh, yeah, it's everyone else, <laughs> like all, all yeah. of the all of the extras uh, are like. Are like they're they're in a youth gang, but also like they go home to their three kids, one of whom's in high school. Sure, um, yes, because yeah, they the they look a little people age differently back then. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, um, I, but yeah, I I, I feel like the 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 sort of cringing. Uh, music uh, theatricality of some of it goes away as the movie goes on because I start to sync with the movie's rhythms. I think the lighting uh, makes more sense at nighttime scenes, and a lot of the movie starts to take takes uh, place more at night because they have this bright, garish theater light—the reds and greens and blues—and that more helps me calibrate to the movie's speed at that point because I start taking it as like a heightened reality. But when it's supposed to be like this sort of like down and gritty on the streets and they're snapping at each other and he's like, they're like, get lost all at once. It's, it's hilarious. Um, I was also terrified of watching the rest of this movie. I was like, if this is all going to be like this, it's going to be a long slog. Um, And it definitely sometimes feels a little silly, but I actually like man. I love the first like fifteen minutes of this movie. I actually showed that was I the part. I, that was the part I showed to my daughter because I she likes this is so dumb, but she likes snapping <laughs> quite a bit. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! Um, she's a she. You know, she learned how to snap a while ago, and she's like she she's still very proud of being able to snap, and she likes doing it. I think even before we did this month, uh, like six months ago, I showed her the opening scene to this because I had it. And we watched that part again when we were when we were uh, when I was watching it for this, and just because I, I do think that whole sequence is like a lot of fun, and I think it looks gorgeous, and I I really like the choreography, but yeah, like I can understand coming to it, like even myself who was watching and loving it, also like there is a part of me that's kind of like, <laughs> like can't help but think it's it's silly. I've all I've always bought into it aesthetically because I think that. A, it's a musical. That's just what happens in musicals. Yeah. And B, the the dance is just so gorgeous that it's always worked for me. But this time watching it, it felt justified by Anita's line about midway through the movie where she talks about how the guys get out their aggression in both dance and fighting. Yeah. And, like, that's the way, like, the a, a major theme of this movie is the repression of emotion and yep. what that does in, like, a masculine context. And that's that scene is basically her saying, like, they don't have any ways of processing their feelings, so they do it through, they do it when they dance and they do it when they fight. And that, for me, justifies a lot of the dance 
a lot of the like just walking around dance as like very thematically motivated because it's showing it's getting you in touch with who they are as emotionally repressed people. And I think that that comes out the most in cool, but you see it in all the scenes. No, that's a really good point. Yeah, I never I never I never connected those two moments. It just you know, like like you said, it's just I buy into it because it's a musical and like dancing and singing and stuff like that is part of a part of the, the musical flavor. It's what you're going to people are going to be doing. Um, and the, I, I, the way the sequence is shot is so gorgeous. Um, I just I just love it. But anyways, we, we actually already started to get into the intro, some of the dancing. So it makes sense, I think, at this point uh, to transition into uh, do you guys want to continue talking about? West Side Story. Yes, please. Absolutely, let's do it. When you're a jet, you're a jet All the way from your first cigarette To your last dying day When you're a jet, let them do what they can You've got brothers around You're a family man You're never alone You're never disconnected You're home with your own Company's expected, you're well protected Then you are set with a capital J Which you'll never forget till they cart you away When you're a jet, you stay a jet Now I know Tony like I know me uh, and I Here you are, me. alternate taglines <laughs> Seamless transition <laughs> Wow, um... <laughs> <laughs> we need a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, whatever happened to Natalie Wood? Oh, <laughs> that's a sad tagline. Well, ironically, the one of the stars of the movie we'll watch next week may have had something to do with it. God, the that thing in Curb Your Enthusiasm where all they say about what happened to Natalie Wood, they're like, what happened on that boat? It's just so true. It's just like... What the fuck happened in that boat? I think about that scene constantly. Um, All the time. I don't know why, but th- there is just that part where, like, Jerry Seinfeld's like, what was Christopher Walken doing? <laughs> I don't know. It seems odd. Um, <laughs> like, just the, the kind of blase, yeah. but also, like, concerned way they talk about it, like, like in, in hushed tones is, uh, yeah, that's a perfect yeah, example like, there. Anything more might, might get you sued, but, yeah. like... What what the fuck? I don't have a theory, but what the fuck happened? Um, so yeah, Natalie Wood is in this movie. Yeah, um, she's good. And this she's, also uh, let's talk about a generational thing real quick. I don't know, maybe a decade ago, I was telling my mom about a movie, and she was like, "Well, who's in it?" And I was like, "Blah blah 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 blah." Christopher Walken. And she's like, "Oh, I hate him. He gives me the shivers." And it's like, "Oh, just because he's weird." Well, like, yeah. No, because he murdered Natalie Wood. It's <laughs> like I didn't realize that. Like to our generation, he's like the weapon of choice video guy. <laughs> He, like, shows yeah, up like, in a bunch of comedies as, like, one part. In the <laughs> yeah. But to, like, baby boomer generation, he is a uh, just a straight-up fucking creep and a murderer, like, all but confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a fun way there's to a, start. Well, there's a lot of murder what in this movie. What happened on that boat? What happened on that boat? It's on, it's on theme. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's let's talk about the movie. Sure, let's talk about. I just wanted to have a little moment for Natalie. This is what happens, like uh, when we had we had a serious discussion in the break, (laughs) twenty or thirty minutes, and then of course, like 
Peter just has to throw out an alternate tagline. He's like, man, after hearing all that, I got to know <laughs> what happened on that boat. Know. We're, uh, we're but never going to know. One thing that happens on a boat is it takes people uh, from the island of Puerto Rico to America. Uh, and <laughs> oh, my how's gosh. How's that for a transition? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Great. Uh, I mean, they might have flown also. Well, they talk about the in, – in America. Yeah. They talk about the boat, yeah. yeah. So – it's it's all in the text, Peter. That wasn't subtext. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, West Side Story is based on a little play called Romeo and Juliet. Ever heard, heard of it? Uh, oh, you said no? You haven't heard of it? Okay. No, never heard okay. of it. Um, What's it about? Well, basically, it's uh, the plot of West Side Story, uh, where there's two gangs. So it's kind of a ripoff? Yeah, it's basically an homage <laughs> that they ripped off because copyright expired. You'd be surprised how many movies are based on Shakespeare's plays, but they name them different. Uh, ten things I hate about you. Great one. Uh, based off a Shakespeare play, Emma. Based off a Shakespeare play. Um, it is. Yeah, what's Emma? Isn't it Emma? Well, Emma's oh, Jane or, Austen. Or is that Jane Austen? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> See. You can be wrong about that because it just seems so Shakespeare-y. I've never seen it. <laughs> I've got. I definitely have. Well, I was gonna say. Movie. I was gonna say Clueless, and what then I was like, I No, Clueless with? is based on Emma, which is Jane Austen. Yeah, well, I definitely have it confused with some movie, but I, it's not coming to mind right now. Uh, so, uh, other movies, though. Definitely <laughs> other based movies. on Shakespeare. Definitely other movies. Most of Mad Men uh, <laughs> uh, is based on, I think, The Merchant of Venice. Sounds know. right. Um, but anyway, uh, Hamlet 2000 is based on a little play called Hamlet. Uh, <laughs> uh, they made a movie called Hamlet 2000. They made a movie called about. Hamlet 2. Hamlet 2 is pretty funny from what I remember from 10 years ago. It's hilarious. Rock me sexy yeah. Jesus. <laughs> rock me, rock me, rock me sexy. I haven't seen it in 10 years. I still know. Who doesn't know rock me sexy Jesus? It's true. Uh, anyway, so, so yeah, there's the Sharks, there's the Jets, they're two gangs. They live in what I assume to be the west side of New York, although it's never fully spelled out. Um, if you're a Jet, are you a Jet part of the way? Oh, Peter, <laughs> you fool! Uh, well, you know what? Speaking of Jets that are only Jets part of the way, it's Tony. Uh, so, essentially, you have these, these two street gangs that have turf, and they sometimes get in each other's business. Um, and give each other the business. There's a lot of business overall <laughs> to be in given this and taken. Yeah, <laughs> and the important part of the business is the giving and the receiving. Yeah, if if someone is giving someone the business, someone has to be receiving someone the business. So, uh, so the the main linger of the Jets, uh, very young Russ Tamblin, <laughs> who plays Riff. Who's the leader of the Jets, and he co-founded it with Tony. But Tony decides he wants to be working at Doc Store, and there's got to be something better out there. Uh, and the something better out there he meets is Maria, who is a uh, sister to Bernardo, who's the leader of the Sharks. So again, like a whole Romeo and Juliet type situation. They end up falling in love and try to figure out how to be together while the 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 people in their life uh, end up hating them. And uh, so you have a lot of Riff trying to convince Tony to come back to the gang. You have a lot of Anita, who's amazing in this movie, uh, trying to convince Maria that she's crazy, that no, Bernardo's never going to go for it. Uh, and then eventually that kind of – this kind of all reaches ahead with uh, with Riff getting a knife to death in a knife fight because they decide we're settling this once and for all with a fight 
But then there's all of a sudden knives, and Riff gets stabbed and dies. And then it becomes very hard for Tony and Maria to figure out how they're going to be together. And ultimately what ends up happening is a lot of uh, hijinks, but like the sad kind. Uh, the stabby kind, I would say. Yeah, what's a, what's a, what's a well, sad Bernard, version Well, Bernardo of also gets stabbed. Bernardo also gets that's, stabbed. That's, that's more of dies. the bigger thing, yeah. Yes. So they both die, a lot of dying. And then, um, and so eventually what ends up happening is, is that Tony dies because, uh, they have Tony hidden, uh, Maria's trying to go meet Tony and run away and leave all this craziness behind, but Anita gets assaulted by the jets and decides to not give Tony the message of where Maria's waiting, uh, and instead, uh, tells, uh, tells the jets that Maria was killed. Tony, in his sadness, doesn't go meet her, but ends up going out in the streets yelling for someone to uh, to shoot him, which they comply, only for Maria to find him uh, lying dead in the streets. Um, and that is West Side Story. Sad West Sad Story. What it West Sad Story. Uh, it, it, it slightly deviates from Romeo and Juliet. It does not end with... Uh... Maria committing suicide as Juliet did. Um, but yeah, it ends with the tragedy, the two loves, the, the young loves squashed. Uh, quashed? Squashed? Because of uh, senseless violence. Yeah. Because of senseless, pointless, uh, inter-gang, inter-racial, inter-whatever, uh, intersectional violence of uh, of two communities. Um, and here's, yeah. here's the thing that's like, I know this is sort of the point of the movie, but it's something that the movie does really well. It does seem like these two groups would have a lot of fun hanging out together. Oh, like, yeah. They all like the same stuff. They go to the same community center for dances. They like playing basketball. They like dancing at people on the street. Like, there is nothing that these people don't have in common except for the color and of their skin. They also I mean, like... The incompatible e- thing is that, that jets like murdering sharks and sharks like murdering jets. That's the one place where it just doesn't, you know, quite connect. They also like each other enough that they defend each other from the police. Yeah. They, whenever they see the police get up in their business, they're like, oh, no, no, we're great. We're doing fine. And they try very hard to make sure that they're protecting each other, which is why when the actual murder starts happening, they're all kind of freaked out because none of them ever wanted it to get to that point. To them, it's no. just to them, it's just fun. Like this is how they have fun, and there's some there's some bigotry mixed in there, but like it's mostly in in fun. Well, and you're right. There is that like uh, that this this movie does kind of talk about like that toxic masculinity where like in that whole like you know if they bring sticks, we bring uh, knives, and if they bring knives, we bring guns. Like it is it is a sense of like posturing and bluffing no one actually wants it to come to murder and death because then the police are going to be involved and they're not going to be able to have their like their fun on the streets mixing it up with people but at the end of the day it's it's like that at the end of the day they they feel like they have a sense of like duty to uh to to like meet this version of like well that's fine. I guess if I have to knife someone, I'm going to knife someone, even though, like, fucking no one actually wants to. But they're all kind of bluffing to the point that they feel like they need to act on it because that's what's, like, expected of them as tough, tough dudes who uh, aren't afraid of nobody. 
that's what makes the story so tragic, right? Is that this isn't about like cold-blooded killers going at each other. This is about street kids with no opportunities, but they need to hold on to something. And their racial identity is one thing. Their and their um, you know, their neighborhood, the physical streets, the 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 area that they occupy is the other. Yeah. Um, they need to hold on to that that sense of community and the physical geography of that community. Um, otherwise, it's just they they have nothing, right? Like, oh, they feel like they have nothing because the context that they live within is like <clears throat> we have no uh, we have n- nothing to look forward to. We have no economic uh, opportunity. We're we're basically at the bottom of the barrel, but like, um, and we're not we're not going to graduate out of this neighborhood, right? Like. It's our neighborhood now, and it's going to be our neighborhood when we die. Well, um, I, I think it's more than just the the neighborhood too. I, I one thing that this this hits pretty clearly is that the Jets and also the police, which is why they have a little bit more of a uh, rapport with the with the Jets as opposed to the Sharks, is like their neighborhood represents America, and and, and they are defending America from invaders. Giving them an inch or losing a block or whatever of territory, like literally, means that you know that their 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 homeland or whatever is being taken over by people that aren't them. Yeah, that's a really easy way to get me uh, on the shark side early on. Um, even though both sides turn out to be assholes, um, is uh, that the Jets basically recite the fourteen words, the white supremacist pledge. They're like they want to. They want to come in here. They want to take our women. They want to take our land. They want to take our jobs. Like they basically go through the fourteen words, um, more or less. And and that's when the movies. Uh, my sympathies in the movies shifted to the other side. Yeah, shifted to the to the you know the Puerto Rican immigrants. And it's apparently and it's clear that this is also the world that they've been raised in. Like it's it. We don't really see other than. You know, the fact that Anita, uh, that uh, Marie and Bernardo are siblings, we don't really see their families at all. Um, But we know based on implication that like they're they're living in this very toxically racist, toxically sexist environment. And Mm -hmm. the line the line that does it for me is when Doc says to the Jets, you make this world lousy. And one of them's like, well, we didn't make it. They. If they had it their way, they probably would be friends, but they already know the social contract is that they can't be friends. So what do they have to do in order to engage in the in the worldview that they have that they know exists? They have to find these other ways of engaging while still maintaining the status quo because they don't have any understanding that it can be different. Yeah, that is. I have that line in my notes because that is such a chilling line, and it comes after like one of the most disturbing scenes in the movie as well. Yeah, where uh, they kind of like are close to like sexually assaulting uh, Anita when she comes to give the message and are like attacking her and stuff like that. And then again, their reaction is like, "Yeah, well, what this is what we've been taught. This is normal behavior. That's that is like a subhuman to us. So how would you expect?" us us to treat uh to treat her and then of course the mirror image of that is the you know i think one of the best songs in the movie which is uh and maybe one of the better musical songs of all time well i want to talk about the music more in this but like you know the whole america stuff is really about the concept of of kind of like 
the American dream, and they they talk about this very openly. Like the American dream is a, is full of shit. It is not for everyone. It is for very specific people. And like it's not that they don't want us here for various reasons because we do X good or we do Y good, but they do not intend to treat us with the open arms that like the Statue of Liberty pretends to to want. Yeah. And again, I, I think that's why the – especially watching it this time, like the detective and the police characters are so important because um, they they are they are part of defending the status quo and they are always siding with the Jets to get more information. They are constantly screaming for sharks to get out of places and hurling uh, racial epithets and stuff like that at them. And, and really like you see like these are the authority figures to the Jets. Uh, they might not be authority figures they respect because they're the cops, but that's they the cops don't feel any need to give equal protection to to both groups. Like yeah. they want they want the sharks gone as much as the jets do. They say that very specifically to them. Yeah, uh, Officer Krupke is like an out and out racist who essentially is. Uh, would you say Would you say Krupp you to him? I would say Krupp you. <laughs> Absolutely. Love that song. Uh, that was actually that was actually something that Sondheim was trying to get in. He was trying to get in more um, uh, profanity into the original uh, play, right? The original musical, and yeah. it was supposed to be "fuck you." It was supposed to be "fuck you." As far as I know, it was supposed to be "fuck you," and they were supposed to say uh, a lot more. Uh, supposed to say "fucking shit" a few more times in, in different songs, but essentially, he was pressured out of it. On a symbolic, thematic level, yeah, this movie does get at um, a lot of the issues that poor people face in these, like, urban metropolises where it's like, yeah, you're at the bottom, but you're at a different bottom than – if you're if you're white and you're at the bottom, you're in a different bottom than, um, say, Hispanic Americans are. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the music of this movie and the, the lyrics and stuff like that. So here's kind of been my – uh, very uh, my take of this movie, and it was seeing the overture and stuff like that, and all the little bits of the songs play kind of like confirm that that I have always been a huge fan of the music in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm not always a fan of like like orchestration. I'm not uh, I'm not one of those people that listens to like film scores or really gets much out of in general music without lyrics. And this is a big exception. To that, like, I feel like I could listen to the overture over and over again. Uh, the lyrics and the singing really vary for me from song to song. Like, there are some I absolutely love, uh, like America, like uh, Stay Cool, like When You're a Jet. Can I pause on America real quick? Yeah, uh, I definitely, I definitely heard there are no cats in America a hundred times more before I'd ever heard the song America. Uh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Well, well I'm sure. Tale. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, great, it's movie. A great movie. I had heard th- I had heard that the parody of it, or not even a parody, but like, yeah, I guess it's a parody of it, like long, long before I'd ever heard the original thing. Did you know that I Feel Pretty was from this movie? Because it feels like that must have been one. If you didn't, you were like, oh, holy shit. I've heard that before. I did. I did not. I had a similar moment to Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend this month. With, oh, yeah. Uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. With Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Yeah. I had a similar moment where I was like, I was like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> did you do that, th- wait, did you do that thing where they're like, oh, are they covering I Feel Pretty for this movie? Yeah. That feels weird. 
Uh, I can. That's happened I, I, to me. I was once. like, "Is this a jukebox musical?" And I was like, "No, it's a Bernstein and Sondheim thing." Like, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, and I feel pretty is a song I like as well. Uh, but there is a lot of songs that I feel like um, lyrically aren't, aren't aren't as interesting to me. I actually feel like a lot of the singing in this movie is bad. What's uh, really funny is that they got other singers to dub. Like it's yeah. not it's a lot of those a lot of like the name actors are not doing their own singing. Yeah. And like they is may Rita Moreno is, doing her own thing? She the she is for um America, America and the quintet, but she's not for a boy like that. Ah, okay, yeah. yes. Because her voice different. is noticeably different in that one. Different. Well, and like, um, yes. like Something's Coming is a really good example, I think, of like a song I love in general. I think whoever is overdubbing the voice on this is bad. It's so dumb to say, like, I heard this coming from a very good singer <laughs> over and over and over again at my yeah. fucking play. And whoever, the guy who did it in that play, Matt, was a much better singer than whoever's overdubbing Tony here. Because, like, I I love that song, and I think it's terribly performed in this movie. And Richard Bamer can't be that bad of a singer that they had to pick someone also not great to dub him. Yeah, because, like... Like, at that point, just let him do his own singing. Song. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. I really like it. Yeah. Uh, and it is... It is I was like, was it always this bad in this movie? Because I really, I'm, I'm glad it's not just me. Because there's a part of me that I'm like, is the singing bad or am I crazy? I don't, so I don't love his dubbing. Um, I don't. Let, yeah. Let's park here. I don't love him in general. He has a real big face, and the and the photographer in this movie for some reason cannot figure out how to shoot his face. He's <laughs> um, just got this big gawking dorky face this is, this is it, your i know i'm looking into the future here but this is your second week in a well will be your second week in a row how do you do this backwards where uh you will be complaining about faces <laughs> and the, and the much, longness of that face you got a long face, face thing you got a long face be in your bonnet it, the face is like 90% of the camera somehow, and it's being shot vertically. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> and to, Tony is Tony is not um, – the moment he starts singing outside of the uh, dock shop in the alley, um, from that moment on, I just – he never won me over. It never really – I felt bad for Maria at different points because um, Natalie Wood is very, very, very charming. Um, but – Tony, just the whole time I'm watching it, I just like couldn't get on Tony's side. He's just like gawky and dorky, and like I just he's too he's too much for this kind of for this movie. Even though the movie is so theatrical, so formalistic, so big, um, he's still too big for it. I mean, do you think My to some degree that that's the character though? Because the character is a very the character is a lot, and he's and he's <laughs> yeah. like very earnest and naive and that can read a little silly sometimes i i oh really God. like his performance but i also think that like the moments that feel kind of corny are just what the character is oh my god you just made me realize something what's that i've ne i've seen many versions of romeo and juliet both in uh 
on film and in uh, in person, and I've never liked a version of Romeo. Yeah. I've always found him like sort of an embarrassing geek. And I know that's part of the deal, like a lot of uh, interpretations of Romeo and Juliet, like is, is that it's not as romantic of a play as it might be interpreted as. Um, and that it's actually like a tragedy about two people getting in, two young people getting in over their heads and society stepping on them too soon before they can even realize that they're in over their heads. Um, and yeah, that sort of like dorky honesty paired with Juliet sort of like, I'm in love, but like I'm a little apprehensive is, uh, and Maria in this case is it always makes me like Juliet dash Maria more. <laughs> yeah, I would I would bet that if you saw a production of this with like the best actor imaginable, it, the character would still not totally gel for you. I think yeah, part maybe. of the problem, too, is besides the fact that he uh, reminds me so much of Cal from this island Earth, I don't buy him as ever being part of the gang. Uh, and that is partly how he the seems char- like someone's cousin where he's like. Don't worry, Tony's definitely coming to the party. Yeah. Well, you get the sense that he and Riff grew up together and they're really tight. And by the way, we just have to point out how amazing it is that this is like the Twin Peaks prequel about how how Ben Horn and Dr. Jacoby were in a street gang together. Yeah. No, that is that is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But but yeah, like I, I get the sense that they're just like childhood friends and he like maybe kind of hung out with the gang a little bit, but was never as deep into it. And he's like fully out of it now because he's trying to be a responsible grown up and like have a job and shit. Do you um, think like Riff is using him as some sort of like like symbolism, like propaganda? Like he never really came to the meetings. Was like Tony's the best fight. Like because Riff had trouble like getting people on his side and used this like giant handsome man as like as like his propaganda to inspire people because it does seem like. I, I I can't picture those two uh like starting a gang together. I can see Riff do it. Yeah. And Tamblin's performance is so great. Like he's so very good. he's oh, very yeah. charismatic. You can totally see how he's the person getting all this going. And so if he and if he and Tony just had this existing relationship, it makes sense to me that Tony would like sort of kind of dip in and out, but never care about it in the same way. Yeah. Especially because yeah. he's not He's not someone who seems to like, as, except for the moment where he actually kills someone, he's not someone who seems to like violence all that much. Yeah, it is. And you're you're right for the, the way the character's <laughs> written, because he spends that entire thing just like running back and forth, stopping people, and then all of a sudden, yeah, grabs a knife. And I, I get it. It's a moment of like revenge, but it, it doesn't feel, it feels out of character. It doesn't feel like it works totally. Well, it's a moment that feels you can see how Bernardo kills Riff totally by accident. And then the contrast to Tony being like, I am going to stab you in the stomach right now. Like the contrast is very clear that I'm not saying that Tony was in his right mind necessarily or that he was like intentionally going there to kill Bernardo. But that that's an intentional killing that happens. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I uh, I agree. And that's like one of the things that makes the last act so dark. There's a, a sexual assault and there's a uh, not premeditated, but like <laughs> essentially, well, I guess there's a premeditated murder if you count Tony's murder. Everyone is out to get Tony and then someone sees Tony and shoots him. The Tony's murder feel uh, Tony's murder of um, sorry, who's the head of the, Bernardo? 
of Bernardo. Uh, Tony's murder of Bernardo feels so rage filled and so it's pure in the way that love is pure young love is pure like it's untempered by anything and it's that's what makes it so scary because you can tell that tony is just this live wire of emotions and like he's in this pure uh uh, irrational state which i think also leads um the movie to connect back with its source material which, yeah, like I said, a common interpretation of Romeo and Juliet is that, like, it's not this alt- this love story for the ages. It's about, like, two young dumb, young, dumb kids who get in over their head and, like, their sweet innocence is, yes, it's, it's something to be protected, but not necessarily, like, admired by adults. Um, um, I, I mean, I also think I get that they were kind of reticent to contact the police, but, like... One stab wound usually doesn't kill people immediately. It feels like oh, yeah. yeah, they let them they let them bleed out something. Yeah, like uh, yeah, there was a four inch, a single four inch blade in someone's stomach is gonna really fucking hurt, but it's not gonna kill them. No. Uh, yeah, and they, they should put some effort into trying to save him, which no one does. Like, well, you can't fix a stab wound. I think Peter, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is the first movie that we've ever done that won Best Picture. Yeah, oh. we usually we usually stick towards the the weirder, the more genre stuff, which doesn't oh. usually get respect. We've never done. Yeah, that's not true. Going. That's not true. I just realized uh, Shape of Water, which we did before it won Best Picture. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. It's still weird that the Shape of Water, like, I love the Shape of Water. It's still kind of weird that it won Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, and in my head, because because Get Out was uh, the, the the more surprising pick that year. Yeah. Uh, in my head, I'm still like, Get Out won Best Picture, but it did not. It just won Best Director with Jordan Peele. No, it was uh, screenplay. Just not to under. Screenplay. Best yeah. Screenplay. But yeah. he got Best Director, didn't he? No, no. Del Toro did. Del Toro did, yeah. and it got Best Picture. Yeah. It, it was a weird year where, like... It's usually not both. If you would have ever told me I was rooting against Del Toro to win a Best Director Oscar, I would have told you you were crazy until that year. Yeah, that was a fucking great year for movies. Um, uh, but, uh, so, anyways. So, so, yeah, it was nominated for quite a lot of Academy Awards. Um, Rita Morano won. Uh, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about Robert Wise, because it's actually the second movie that we've covered that's a Robert Wise movie. Um, we and did, we'll cover more, too. Yeah, we did it for Star Trek. I want to do, do The Haunting. I want to do Body Snatcher. Maybe Day, Day of the Earth did still. Curse of the Cat People. Curse of the Cat People would be fun. Sound of Music. Uh, never. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sound of, Sound of Music is one of those movies where I'm like, I, 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 if the movie were like the first like half. hour and a half, I'd be like, hell yeah. It's just every, everything <laughs> yeah. that happens after You don't that. like the Nazis? <laughs> it just it goes on for so long. <laughs> and also they just sell out her character. It's just the longest movie ever. But it is it is similar to this. Sound of Music. It, we have to talk about Sound of Music a little bit here. Um, it is... Uh, this is movie, Robert Wise co-directed this and directed Sound of Music. Similarly... The level of letter, the uh, level of technical skill going on here is yeah. really lovely. Yeah, the fact that he he can he can make that Technicolor film just pop in every moment is uh, is really lovely. His his command of a scene is 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 just phenomenal. The fact that you don't get sick of of uh, specific settings, even though they are clearly stagey, is so impressive. Yeah, and he is a like for a directorial style for someone who's done so many iconic movies. Like, I don't think he's considered like one of the auteurs or one of the amazing directors. 
But I think in some ways he should be because like his movies are like Star Trek The Motion Picture. We talked about how much we both like that on our Star Trek uh, this and even like Sound of Music, which is not a movie. Again, I, I really don't care for the second half all that much. But like that scene of like Maria running through the the uh, the hills, which are alive with the Sound of Music. Like he is so good at making these like iconic amazing technicolor or later on with star trek the motion picture like visually effects stunning films like his his movies are gorgeous to look yeah. at and like the coloring in this movie is uh i mean just the the costume design the way the sets look the lighting everything like there are so many moments in this movie to to use an old expression that like you could just take a screenshot and put it on your background at your computer in 1999 and it would look gorgeous like, have you guys ever seen the original Body Snatcher, the Boris Karloff black and white movie that Robert Wise directed? Yeah. No. It's so gorgeous, and it's my—it's f- by far my favorite Boris Karloff performance. He is just dripping with evil. I it's didn't amazing. know there was a version before the '50s version. So this is not Invasion of. Oh, oh, just, oh! This sorry. This is about a literal. No, it's easy because there's like a million movies with the word Body Snatcher in it. Well, yeah. There's one but just the, called Body Snatcher. <laughs> Yeah, from it's, the, it's ju- from the nineties. Yeah. Oh, so and, this is about uh, someone that snatches bodies. This is like a Victorian He's guy who steals bodies for uh, medical colleges. I see. I see. So it's very easy to confuse the other ones. Has literally nothing to do with it. It's just like a Burke and Hare kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's so good. Boris Karloff is amazing in it. It's also one of those black and white movies where you're just like, how the fuck did you make this look so good? Tell me. It, a movie was this movie was co-directed by for a little bit uh, Jerome Robbins who did mm-hmm. the choreography and the dance and he was uh, fired for slowing the production down. Um, More dancing, Jerome. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wanted to work the cast similar to a theater production where it's just like over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, so he only did basically four major moments in the movie did prologue he directed uh, america i feel pretty and cool uh, all really that good tracks though yeah uh yeah i'm not not, not and the most the guy, and the most dance heavy ones uh yes yeah not knocking the guy uh but yeah he robert wise then just took it over because the producers just uh got rid of, of jerome robbins at that point um i will say one other thing i really appreciate about this and i i say more gangs current street gang should go back to it like how much suits they wear a lot of suits for a street gang i think yes they're great suits yeah yeah they got these gangs they got to get away from all the intense violence they got to get back to just snapping each other and telling each other to get lost no three-piece suits though yeah that would be a little much probably it's i mean from my perspective i i thought i saw three pieces but clearly i (laughs) (laughs) i saw shoes a belt, <laughs> a sports jacket. The three pieces of a yeah. suit. <laughs> so, in your mind, if I wore uh, a belt, pants, and a watch, I would be, and nothing else, I'd be wearing a three-piece suit. No, a watch doesn't count. But if you have like cool sunglasses, <laughs> definitely uh, counts. It's a count. Yeah, because yeah. it's a piece of sunglasses. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's part of your face. If you wear it on your face or your body, wrists don't count. Wrists are very clearly. Uh, excluded from being part of the three-piece suit based on a uh, book I imagined reading once. <laughs> At first, I thought you were trying to say that people, some people wear sunglasses on their wrists. I was like, I've never, I've never seen that. I wonder if that's a Midwestern and, thing. 
And you're in the New York. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah. One of the New most York. important parts about wearing sunglasses is trying to find all the different places you can put them when you don't want them covering your eyes. There's the classic put it in a pocket up front. There's the uh, put it like where the buttons, <laughs> the buttons on your yeah. shirt stop. And then my favorite are those total weirdos <laughs> that put them on the back of their collar. Sure, have you seen that shit? Like that is a uh, yeah. That is a crazy way. Like you also obviously have put them on the top of your head. Like yeah. lift them up. Like stuff like that. And when I see people walking around with fucking sunglasses in the back of their collar, I'm like, that is a psychopath. Like stay <laughs> away from them. There's so many different sunglass spots that you can put them. Who would do that? I would forget they were there or wouldn't hurt your neck. I have so many questions. I don't think I've ever seen that. Or if I have, I haven't registered it. I've just saw it recently and I was angry. I see it a lot here in Southern California and it's a disease and um, we are trying to vaccinate against it right now. Good. Well, good luck in California. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's the one one vaccination that everyone would be okay with, I think. Who was the first Uh, person? I just want to know, who was the first person that's like, I got it. (laughs) <laughs> back of the collar behind my head normal place for me to put my sunglasses <laughs> i just want him to be i just want it to be in a position uh so that i get whatever similar strain elbow injuries that samurais would get pulling swords off their back i want if i forget to get a serious neck injury uh like yeah. i'm gonna lean back my head and go ow oh shit oh yeah i put my sunglasses back there like an idiot it was um, probably someone who had a backwards face. I, I mean, that's the only logical explanation. <laughs> um, so I just want to say, we've said this before, like if you're a gamer gator, MRA, Trump voter, like don't listen to this podcast. If you put your fucking sunglasses on the back of your collar, stop listening. <laughs> this podcast is not for you. It'd be Sorry, weird Spencer. if like next week's episode, it goes down to 10 listeners and we're like. <laughs> oh, that was our yeah. whole audience. Yeah, Our whole you, audience you, you, was backwards sunglass people. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Spencer, my friend who does this weird fucking thing. Does he listen? Oh, he does listen. Oh yeah, he does listen. Oh yeah, he knew uh, me. He goes, Aaron, I recognize that voice anywhere. Spencer, buddy, as a friend, you have buttons in the front. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do you want me to delete this for Spencer's sake? Absolutely not. Okay, absolutely great. not. Good. He needs to be called out. <laughs> I'll tell him in person. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, we are unfortunately. I just imagine he'll probably be in a suit. Do you think he would do it with a suit? <laughs> I mean, here's hoping. Are we? Are we going to? We are going to be out there having fun in the warm California sun. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, when the heat is on, you gotta you gotta put your sunglasses wherever it's convenient. And I'm not using the back of my neck ever. <laughs> Never. Uh, that I'm going to start doing it that way. I'm going to put them on my ears backwards and then have another contraption. So like it's like I had a fate. It's like I had eyes in the back of my head, and that's going to be my new way. Because fuck, if you can just wear them on the back of your collar, rules don't apply to anyone anymore. Yeah. So I'm going to wear them in a bunch of wackadoo ways that freaks people out and be like, whatever. I'm just following the trend of wearing your sunglasses in bizarre places when you're not when they're not on your eyes. Uh. We're, so we, we're rapidly running out of time. It's a very long movie. We're not going to get to a lot of it. What else do we need to talk about before? Marie and Tony are the most boring part of their own movie. Oh, uh, no. What? 
No. Yeah, sorry. Rita Moreno is more interesting than Maria and Tony. Um, I think like a red brick that they pass at some point that's just sitting in the street is more interesting than Tony. I um, mean, I mean. So I look, think them together, I agree. If you're talking about like character development, then yes, they are the two blandest characters kind of intentionally. But I feel like their romance really works. I feel like they have no chemistry. Oh, really? I don't buy... There's no um, relatable chemistry or like... And I'm a a very empathetic person. And I feel like I was like, I don't get what's going on between you two. People people that say they're empathetic people are usually the most empathetic. Yeah. (laughs) I I just be like, I... I like can feel like I'm like, yeah, no, I guess like you, you that makes sense for you. That's that's how you're feeling in the moment. Like, I just don't buy it. Like, she just seems dead behind the eyes when she's staring at him. But she seems to be having a great time when she looks at Rita Moreno. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the Maria and the Anita scenes are the best scenes of the movie in, in, in response yeah. to chemistry. But but I actually I do um I do buy Maria's like Mar- I, I, I think Natalie Wood sells it. A little bit better like i'm just i guess i'm just i get it's a problematic character or a difficult character to act for but i i just don't buy tony in most respects like yeah i i like maria by herself i'm not saying i don't like nelly but I, but i believe that when she's like when she's with tony i believe that she's in love with him like that that yeah. part of the chemistry works for me i buy that they're both a little bit desperate in the sense that like Maria's been super sheltered. She just wants to like go to a party, wear a pretty dress, like look kind of sexy and cute and have fun. And Tony is like, he's been having these dreams about this thing that's coming and he has no idea what it is. And there's just this thing that he's trying to reach out for. And like, he doesn't know anything that he wants. He knows that he wants a life other than the one that he has, but he doesn't know what that is. So then the two of them see each other at the same moment and they're both like, well, you're different from everything else I've been exposed to. So let's see if this can work. And it's just this spark. And I love that. I made a list of like my favorite shots in the movie, and one of them is um, when they first meet at the dance. Like the connection just feels so strong to me. And then, even though the two of them are both kind of bland characters in a lot of respects, um, because they both don't know themselves well enough for for us to be able to know them, their intensity for each other really works for me. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I I could get that. Um, it's just not, it's not clicking for me because it's just, uh, whenever my eyes are drawn to the other half of the couple, it's just not clicking. And I really don't want to be mean to to Richard Boehmer because he's super good in Twin Peaks. And, um, I buy that he had a lot of Civil War figurines. (laughs) (laughs) He, uh, he, and, uh, apparently he didn't, he wasn't really happy with his performance here. Oh, really? uh, Robert Wise. Robert Wise said he was, like, the nicest dude and tried super hard and, like, he just had nothing but great things to say about him. Um, And also, apparently, David Lynch got him into TM, which is funny. Do you know who they originally wanted to play Tony for this movie? Uh, no. A little actor named Elvis Presley. No. You know? Yeah. I don't, I I would not have liked that. Okay, so I think in the I think in the so it's coming. <laughs> the problem is it would have become an Elvis movie, not 
Like, it, it would not have been a, a musical that had Elvis in it. It would have become an Elvis movie. Well, and also, uh, Elvis would have spent most of the movie probably trying to figure out what musical styles he could appropriate from all the Puerto Ricans. Oh, and yeah. you definitely need someone, for Tony's character, like, you need someone who's kind of a blank slate. You do. Because he's he so much he of a blank slate as a person. Like, you can't have an actor who's already coming with so much association. Yeah, um so what what else uh do we need to get to before final thoughts uh i want to talk about anybody's oh yeah of course so dream role. i i haven't read much about like interpretations of her as a queer character but it seems pretty clear that that's what's going on whether she's like either a butch lesbian or if or if you know she's trans in some way or something i feel like or she just doesn't i I adhere to typical um you know uh dressing codes for women um she has she just doesn't feel like expressing herself in a sort of traditionally feminine way right yeah totally it could yeah it could also be that yeah Um, it's fun because it is kind of open book yeah, and I wonder I wonder in this new version if they'll make it more explicit one way or another, if they'll make like a decision on that to like play it a particular way. But I I mentioned early on that I find the last 40 minutes of the movie to be the moment to to be the part of the movie with like all of the big emotional gut punches and one of like the most emotionally cathartic moments for me is when the jets finally like validate her mm-hmm. and like at like she spends the entire movie like trying to be one of the guys and like she's being pretty like brutally uh offended at like every at, at every attempt that she makes um and they say really horrible things to her and then she finally does something for herself and she just decides like fuck it i'm gonna go and i'm gonna be active and i'm gonna do my own thing and i'm gonna help and she just does it and she gets actual validation for it and i think that's really beautiful and when they when they do give her validation it's very interesting that the language they use to like acknowledge that for the first time exactly Uh, the line they say is you done good buddy boy yeah which kind of fits into that like it's not just affirmation that now she's officially part of the Jets. It's like, oh, we are now going to call you like a buddy like we would call any like a buddy boy, like we call any one of the quote unquote guys that we're all hanging out with. So yeah. uh, I do feel like that that specific choice of language and welcoming her is 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 interesting. It really is. Yeah. And you can interpret that in a few ways, right? Like because the. The, the interpretation I came away with in a sort of maybe maybe too cynically um, was that in order for them to respect her as a member of the gang, they need to just basically just accept her as a man, um, which is not necessarily, I think, the way everyone would interpret it. But to me, I was just like, oh, well, uh, she's got to. Yeah, she's got to be seen as a buddy boy in order to get any sort of cred for what she does for the group. Yeah. I do like I think it's in the same scene um, because she usually when they when usually they tell her to like go be more feminine she'll have like she'll scoff at it or something and then in that last scene when uh, someone says to her like oh go wear a dress she's like I got scabby knees and I just love that (laughs) I love that retort it's so good (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's super funny. She's hanging out in the street with them all day too. They shouldn't. They should respect that she's also gonna have scabby knees. Exactly. Everyone is gonna have scabby knees. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Riff. I got scabby knees just like you got scabby knees. <laughs> One of you. Any uh, any final things before we go to final thoughts? We were also gonna talk about the Anita scene. We've oh, like hinted yeah. at it, but we haven't gotten into that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh. Yeah. Who wants to start? Uh, oh, I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> let you. I was gonna let you take the lead. Oh yeah, uh, we'll, we'll let the uh, so, start. So, so, um, yeah. So there's, uh, there's the scene where Maria, Maria gets held up back at her apartment because the police come over to interview her um, about Bernardo's death and Tony and everything, and she gives, uh. Anita kind of a code to say, you know, please go to yeah. Doc's store and please uh, tell Tony that I'm running late. So she shows up and she's genuinely there to try to help, which goes against a lot of her morals because these are not people that she wants to be helping at all or spend any time mm-hmm. with. But she cares about her her um, sister-in-law and like really wants to help and basically gets sexually assaulted. It's I, yep. I it's done in a very beautifully staged way so that it's not there's no uh, actual rape, but it seems pretty clear that that's the implication. And there's certainly a yep. lot of physical assault happening. Um, and yep. I actually think I'm uh, I'm very interested in the way that sexual violence is portrayed in movies. And I feel like this is an incredibly well done scene i agree agree, because it's it's focused on uh the horror and not and and it never ever becomes sexy exactly um which is probably to be honest i mean if you're gonna be a little cynical it's probably like a byproduct of the era like 10 years later would there have been more like lascivious shots of of her of rita moreno maybe Mm -hmm. but the fact that the fact that it doesn't have that regardless regardless uh give the movie credit for what it actually is um it is it it was really powerful to watch that scene and just get to focus on the horror of the act as opposed to just being disappointed in the filmmakers for deciding to make it sexy yeah and she's a character who gets to be very sexually empowered throughout yeah. Um and yep. it never this never feel I, I think a lot of times in movies sexual violence is kind of done as a punishment and this never feels like it's punishing her. It feels like it's it's making as I think Aaron said early on like if you weren't already on the side of the jets are the worst, this is the moment where you have to be on that side. Yeah. Um which is probably really important for which is probably really important for audiences who would side with the Jets just because they're white. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, like punishing characters, and especially movies tend to sometimes like punish characters that like especially uh, women who do have a sense of ownership of their own sexuality, um, and like use that as an excuse to like, well, she's just so and so's floozy and stuff like that, and it feels like. They're not necessarily doing that in this uh, in this particular scene of like you know uh, like to use a kind of kind of a treating a sexually empowered woman kind of taking that away from her in a very brutal way. But 
it really does feel almost like a like a zombie scene to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Peter mentioned the whore, like the way that everyone very slowly gets up and gets closer. And it also speaks to kind of, um, you know, uh, she do- Anita doesn't run it first, right? Like she doesn't know when the right point to do that is until it's kind of too late and they've slowly surrounded her and, you know, until Doc breaks it up. And it, it the one thing that it kind of made me think of, and we talk a little bit about this next week with uh, a, a part of uh, Pennies from Heaven is like men, uh, a, a man kind of saying that they're the savior from sexual assault when they're almost, a, when they're the, actually the the threat of it. Yep. Uh, you, you see her in the world to not know when she's supposed to be like scared to the point that she needs to leave or I should say threatened to the point where she needs to leave until it's too late because we live in a world where like these are these are aggressive men who are probably aggressive to her all the time and the second that she realizes that this time is different it's they've surrounded her slowly and it's too late yeah um, and it's also kind of as much as I don't like sexual violence as like a motivator it is also kind of is something extreme enough to motivate her to do what she does next, which is to yeah. say, you know, I have a message for Tony, which is that she, you know, found out about him and Maria. Now Maria's dead. And like, she was not going to say that when she walked in. No. Um, she was fully intending to help, but she needed something to make her angry enough that she would turn. And that's what it was. Uh, I will say this isn't what the movie's going for, but if Tony's best friends are all a bunch of uh, sexual assaulting rapists, I don't know. Maybe maybe Anita in that moment has a right to go. Maybe Tony's not so good for Maria. Oh, Because totally. he's kind of surrounded himself with these monsters. I mean, they've barely known each other two days. Like, yeah. there's a lot she doesn't know about him. Yeah, it's like if I had went to San Diego and all of Peter's friends put their sunglasses <laughs> on the back of their collar. You would suddenly like, have some questions. I'd have some questions. Like, it feels like I know Peter, but literally every person he's hanging out with are putting their sunglasses like that. Maybe maybe I don't want to keep doing this podcast with someone who hangs out with that many people. Instead, it's just one person. So, it's fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trash, so there should be a different reason why you um, would choose choose to pass up that option. But yeah, I mean, if the, if if the the company you keep is often representative of who you are as a person, right? Yeah, of course. But Tony Tony is interesting because Tony starts off such like I don't want to fight, I don't want to fight, and then he's like, I'll kill him. Yeah, like that it's, it's, he becomes he becomes most repre- he becomes uh, the worst of them in some ways. The worst of them. I wouldn't say most representative of them because they were sort of having these sort of tribal disputes, and I don't use that term in a in a loose way. I mean that like uh, very often in, in uh, American Indian culture, like the, the tribal disputes would not be about this total war concept of killing one another and burning down where they live. It was more about like. Uh, let's establish who we are. Let's establish boundaries. Let's get out there. Let's make a show of it. Maybe a few people get their ass kicked, but like we're not out here to slaughter each other. Um, that was, I mean, that was uh, the idea of total war is a very Western thing, and like Tony just like gives into like his most base evil shit because he's just passionate and he's lost and and he, he the, uh, yeah, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but yeah, there's a Tony becomes the worst of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah, because no one. Because even as as Carrie mentioned, even Bernardo's killing was an accident. Tony's was not, and yeah. most of the other people really were were not intending to ever kill anyone. So he's he's the only cold blooded murderer until the ending. But uh, but yeah, I think I think we can do some final thoughts. Uh, I am. Really happy that Carrie was on for this because I feel like uh, there was a lot of great things to talk about. And I should say that, like, I don't want to make it sound like I'm negative on this movie. I'm not. I, I've said now probably so many times this month that in general, the kind of like 60s bloated musical um, is just not my favorite type of musical. There's there's a lot of it was when they were huge. You have Oklahoma and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and sound and music and they were very long and had some you know some kind of great songs and they were definitely all movies that are summer theater that i was in did at one point as as a musical even if i wasn't in them you know for the most part i just i do find that they're usually kind of poorly directed they have a couple of good songs the music ranges from good to kind of like the the type of musical songs that i'm less interested in um, and the reason, but I, but it still felt like this is such an important type of Hollywood musical that when we're doing classic Hollywood musicals, that skipping over it would be a mistake as an error. So West Side Story is my favorite of those. It remains the favorite. There's so much I think that is worthwhile about this movie. From a lot of stuff we talked about, from the directing to the music to. Uh, the choreography, in which we haven't talked much about here, is amazing. The dance sequences are, are wonderful. Um, while still saying that there is uh, – some of it gets a little long in the tooth uh, time-wise. Uh, some of the singing leaves a little bit to be desired. And, like, there's definitely some some lyric stuff that is a little boring to me. Uh, and obviously all the, all the problems we talked about with Tony and his character and stuff like that. But, like, it still is, it still is by far, like – my favorite of these and the one that I owned before we even planned to do it for this month and would would have no problem watching again. This kind of musical is the easiest musical to make fun of. Um, and I think we did. Um, it's uh, But in terms of it as a love story, it didn't really work for me. Um, it didn't have that sense of longing that I really, really wanted it to have. I wanted to be swept up in that sort of that sort of tragedy where I just I'm stuck in between the two of them um, and I just don't want anything to, to uh, take them apart but I know it will and that just didn't click for me um, and I, I think also that part of that is because I think like I, I grew up with a lot of cynicism about the idea of uh, love at first sight um, and I also grew up with this idea that Romeo and Juliet was not necessarily like you know a love to be emulated. Um, so it didn't really, that whole p kind of story didn't really work for me, but what did work for me, and this is a very conflicting thing is I like hated the gangs at first, but as the movie went on, the, the story of the communities out, outside of Maria and Tony is, is really what kept me going. The story of how people see themselves and their place in America and what you're supposed to do as an American, whether you were born here, you came here from somewhere else, whatever. You are an American. What the fuck do you do now? Um, that kept me along for the ride. Uh, so... Uh, strangely enough, yeah, I mean, I still think that Tony and Maria are the weakest part of their own movies, uh, mostly Tony, but I 
was really swept up in this in a way that I did not expect to be. I have loved this movie for as long as I can remember. Um, I definitely, I, I I don't remember the first time I saw it because I've been watching it since childhood. And I appreciated the opportunity to be able to come on and talk about it in part because it's a movie that I do get lost in. And I don't, I haven't had many times where I've sat to critically think about, okay, what's actually happening in this movie? And I appreciated the opportunity to be able to do that this time because there are... I I think my love for it actually grew from watching it on this watch because there are so many interesting themes of toxic masculinity, of, you know, obviously the the racism and immigration, um, and then also this whole thing about youth and like what it is to be a young person growing up in this like very toxic world where you have like where the adults around you really don't know what's best but you don't feel like you have any power either so you have to find the power where you can and there's just it's such a thematically rich film and on top of that i love the music i love how it's shot um, and the emotion of it, one of my favorite things about musicals is just that it's a medium that allows you to just get a fully immersive emotional experience because you have all of these heightened elements that are not like everyday life um, that allow you to really explore the emotional depth of a situation or a person. And this I, I think this is one of the best examples out there of that being done the right way. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm totally I'm totally in love with this movie. And uh, it was a joy to be able to talk about it. I could have done it for two more hours. It was a joy to talk about it with you, Carrie, as it always is. Uh, thank thank you. you so much again for coming on uh, on short notice. Uh, but it, uh, at the very least, it sounds like you got to watch a movie that you love and have seen a million times. So yeah. uh, in some ways, you're also welcome. <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> um, uh, but I'm sure we, we actually don't have a next planned date besides an episode that we'll be releasing uh, here in a month or two uh, for Star Trek but uh, we'll definitely we'll definitely be having you back on again soon but in the meantime do you have anything that you would like to promote I do um, so I have mentioned in the past uh, a television show called Death Row Stories um, I, ha- I promoted season 3 uh, last year and season four is going to be starting pretty soon. Um, I had the opportunity to work on that again. Um, it's a documentary series on HLN about various capital punishment cases. Um, usually, uh, situations where there has been some kind of injustice done in the system to point out that, hey, capital punishment, maybe not such a great thing. Um, and the episode that I worked on um, about someone who is still on death row uh, will air on June 9th um, on HLN. And uh, I would love it if you would watch. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, that's yeah. awesome. Good timing, too. This will be out next week, so they will have time to set your DVRs or TiVos and uh, and make sure that, uh, yeah, give that one a watch. Excellent. 
Yeah. Thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on. Uh, we are always happy to have you on, and you always have a uh, you always have a home here. You always have a seat. Oh, here. that's really yeah. sweet. Thank you. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Executive producer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carrie's not going to be yeah. on next month, which we're not ready to announce yet. But Carrie will be mentioned quite a bit next month. I think. Yeah. Uh, Carrie is actually the only person us, who can so. cancel the show. So if you want the show to stop happening, please write to Carrie. <laughs> Death Row Stories at HLN. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you as always. This was a blast. Uh, So we have one more episode uh, left for Musical Mate before we move on to to June, which we are so excited about. Uh, Yeah, we got one more. It's with David Clark. uh, Also awesome... New York buddy of Carrie's. Uh, and we're doing a double feature of 1930 uh, somethings. I forgot. It's late. Uh, Top Hat and uh, 1981's Pennies from Heaven. Both a 30s musical and a movie from the 80s that has a lot to say about 30s musicals. Uh, and that was a lot of fun recording. Uh, it's going to be a great episode. So we hope you tune in to finish off the month with us. Yes, I uh, think uh, thank you again, Carrie. And uh, how do we end these shows? Uh, well, I think we should end them um, uh, the same way the movie ends, which is in complete and utter depression and sadness. Uh, <laughs> done. Check. All hope is gone. Have a good night. Yeah. I feel pretty, oh so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay, and I pity any girl who's in me today. I feel charming, oh so charming It's alarming how charming I feel And so pretty that I hardly can believe I'm real See the pretty girl in that mirror there Who can that attractive girl be? Such a pretty face, such a pretty dress Such a pretty smile, such a pretty me Feel stunning and entrancing Feel like running and dancing for joy For I loved by your pretty wonderful boy Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch Thank you so much for listening to our show And we've got just a few quick announcements for you There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby if you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) 
that's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page, especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.